Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about back pain. We distinguish between acute and chronic back pain. We talk about the prevalence of back pain, and we go through the major causes of why it's such a big problem, as well as some simple solutions to protect your body against it. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the TFC Foot Nerd Program. It's an online program we kicked off at the start of this year to expand our global community of humans who are spreading the message of health starting at the feet. The online curriculum is a constantly evolving repository of content and resources that give you up-to-date knowledge about the body. The program is also an effort to expand our instructor team and meet the demand for seminars around the world. For more information about the program, visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Footner Program tab. This episode is also sponsored by our newest podcast sponsor, The Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC HQ are big fans of coffee, and, the Canadian, and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. If you check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT, F-O-O-T, at checkout, you'll get 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription, um, and the subscriptions start at 27 bucks a month, which is 30 cups worth. So that's less than a dollar per cup. If you use the code co- uh, if you use the code FOOT, like I said, at checkout, you'll get 7 bucks off your first month. So you can get your first month for 20 bucks. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars and workshops. They help us keep our electronics safe during travel, and they make some badass hard cases. So you can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. Today's topic is is a big one. Um, it's We're going to talk about back pain, because this is an area that there seems to be just overall mass confusion in in the world at large and, and in, especially we see this a lot in our clinic people coming in with back pain not really understanding the specifics of it and you know a lot of these people having been treated by other clinicians and you hear what they're doing and it's like i don't think people are understanding the mechanism of and the root cause of why this back pain is there which i think is why you know as we'll go through the prevalence we'll see that it's it's a big problem in terms of how many people encounter it so probably a good place to start is let's let's uh segment back pain into like a couple divisions number one um we're going to be focusing on lumbar pain so low back pain there is people will develop pain in their upper backs thoracic spine c-spine but we're going to be talking about the low back in particular and after today there's gonna be a lot of stuff covered we'll put out a post on instagram when this airs next week and based on the feedback we get we might do a part two and just cover some of that uh some information based on that feedback so we'll see how that goes but um, let's start with defining chronic versus acute back pain. Yeah, so the prevalence, chronic back pain in, in one of the studies I looked at was defined as over three months. So and that makes sense. Uh, 12 weeks or three months. And that's just, I think a lot of people are walking around with chronic back pain of some sort. Yeah. I know that I used to have some sort of chronic back pain when I was back in school and I didn't even know it until I did stuff where that got rid of it. And then I was like, oh, I did have it before. Yeah. And a lot of it is like some and of it I thought it was be, normal. I thought it was normal, just real stiff through the yeah. back. Like you, sometimes you wake up in the morning, stiff, tight, painful, yeah. uh, painful after you sit for a long period of time. So um, I would say that that's probably affecting more people than um, than than you'd think. And then there'd be the acute back pain, which is like 
you know, bouts of back pain that might come on from either one event, like you, um, you were lifting something and, and then you injured your back or, mm-hmm. um, whatever it might be, but the, the acuteness of that back pain, you wake up the next day, you can hardly move. Um, you don't know what's going on. So that's um, the sudden onset intense pain versus chronic is more like this subtle, subtle background kind of pain that's always there or like you said a sense of stiffness and oftentimes the people with the chronic back pain that are constantly bugging them are the people that are most susceptible to acute bouts and you often hear that you know like Mm -hmm. acute on chronic where oh yeah my back's always tricky it goes out twice a year yeah people throw that out there like it's normal to say and it's very it's very strange it's like your spine is not designed to be vulnerable or break uh, or or give out certain times yeah. of the year, so we have to clear the air on that because it's people seem confused, like you said. People almost are okay with that. They they actually accept that. They're like, okay, well, you know, two three times a year, that's just what happens. It's almost like they have no control over it, yeah. no sense of control over it, and it's like you know, my back's just like that. Um, and my I think back's part of that is, every day. Part of that's a medical system that makes it that way because people are told. I think there's a lot of people being medicalized in terms of their back pain. I don't know if you see that too, but it's like people are being told they have a bad back. People are being shown imaging or whatever it might be to make them feel like their spine is vulnerable or or going to be problematic for their whole lives. It's like, well, no, you, you have control over the fact over whether or not your back hurts. And here are the things that get you closer to back pain so that people can just people just need to understand what contributes to it so they can protect themselves against it. It's like the modern, almost like curse of the medical system is that it's, it's brought us all this information, but half of it is irrelevant or whatever you, in the, in the terms of back pain, a lot of it, most of it is irrelevant. Yeah. So that's kind of the pathoanatomical model that a lot of people in the medical system, uh, therapists, doctors, uh, chiros, they, they still rely on. So pathoanatomical meaning like this, this structure is causing your back pain or the fact that this is seen on your image, this is causing your back pain. Really, it's like we can't predict that. And it, and studies show that it's a very terrible, uh, way of predicting back pain. We don't even, and it's really kind of, useless in many, many cases. Um, I would argue that there's maybe some cases where it's important to look at an image where maybe surgery is involved and and maybe you're going to be going under the knife because something really, you know, fractures, these types of things where it's like intense um, outlier back pain um, or or like acute back pain from like auto crashes, whatever it might be. So there is a time and a place for imaging, but a lot of the times we use these technologies and they really, really complicate things and confuse us. And I think they confuse... I don't know. I think the medical providers are confused too. Yeah, for just sure. as confused. But then it, 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 the confusion trickles over to the patient too, or the client. Um, and and they're, they're reaching for answers, right? Like, okay, so someone comes in with back pain. They're like, "I've had back pain for four months. It's really hurting right now," and you can't seem to understand how to help this person get rid of it. Then you're gonna say, "Oh, well, let's just image it." It's yeah. like that's like, okay, I don't know what to do. So let's just use more tests because I, I'm not sure of the mechanism. Let's use more tests and see if that gives us answers. And mo- mm-hmm. like for that patient that's had four months of back pain and it's slightly worsened now, probably not a spinal cord impingement issue. Like obviously if they're having radiating symptoms down both legs or something all of a sudden comes up, a red flag comes up, yes. But I think we see it all the time. People get imaged or MRIs done. Like an MRI is like two grand, mm-hmm. right? In Canada, we can... You know, physicians are able to order that. People don't pay out of pocket. So it's it's almost like it's used way too liberally, especially when it comes to uh, chronic back pain or even acute on chronic back pain. 
And you're right. I think it's just a confusion where they, they're not sure what's going on. They don't have the answer. So they're searching and they're reaching for answers by getting this imaging done. They find something on imaging. Duh. Everyone, no one's going to have a perfect back MRI or perfect back x-ray or spine x-ray. And they put the fault of the back pain on that imperfection in the imaging. Yeah. Whereas that was probably, in most cases, that was there long before. And is that actually the cause of why that person's back hurts? Usually, no. And it does, you can't correlate anything. Like it's, it's like, okay, you, that's back to that pathoanatomical model. It's like if you, or the biomedical model, um, yeah, if you see something, it doesn't mean that that thing is causing the pain. Yeah. Um, it might mean it, it might not, but we don't know at all. Um, so I think that a lot of times patients are, are almost, I've seen this a lot. They, they actually want the images themselves they're like mm-hmm. can i just get an mri like they, they want closure it's like this safety thing but you you know you tell them like what's that going to tell us and then you know it almost takes proving to them that it didn't change anything in a lot of cases that mm-hmm. that they're, oh yeah it didn't tell me much so it's like you go to the mri okay it shows you that you have a bit of degeneration at this level a bit of degeneration at this level what does that even mean we'll talk about that in a sec um you you have a little bit of a bulging disc and it's like okay well wh- what do i do about it now well, you do the same thing we were doing in the cert, right? We, we try to figure out what's causing <laughs> yeah, it. It didn't change anything. That's not causing it. That's just a random image of what may or may not be contributing to pain. And if it is contributing, it's a byproduct of the actual problem, which is not like, yeah. we can't just go in and Photoshop the image and solve the problem. We need to figure out what's causing that manifestation, what's causing that byproduct, which might be showing up on imaging, might be relevant or not. Exactly. It just, it is. It plays into the confusion. 100% it does. It's like you get a cut, like you, you, you keep getting cuts uh, on a part of your body, like your hand, and you're just like, okay, well, what's going on here? Uh, and then it's like, well, let's image. So we need to like microscopically image the cut. Yeah. And we say, okay, it's affecting some of the nerves in your skin, and that's causing the pain in the cut. But you don't look outside and like, well, what's cutting you? Yeah. Like, what, what is actually... <laughs> yeah. But we, we like to really look deep at like yeah. inside the cut and be like, okay, mm-hmm. it could be these nerves, it could be these structures in there. Um, and so like misplaced precision. It's like mm-hmm. we... We zone, we zoom in so hardcore to the site of of the problem, or the it's not even the site of the problem. It's we zone into the site of the symptoms, and we try and examine every single nuance of that area, and we miss out on the fact that it's like you take like a macro view of, of the body. It's like well, you don't move all day. You mm-hmm. you never move. Maybe that's a contributor, mm-hmm. you know, or you sit in a chair all day. And then the movement that you do do, you do under high load, you put your body into a high threshold, you don't do any rotational stuff. Like maybe we should talk, maybe there's a conversation to be had about how you actually use your body instead of just micro analyzing these small structures because it tells us no information of why the problem's there. Exactly. And like it, just a couple of studies, you were talking about one before, but one I looked at uh, recently is just... Um, it showed that uh, there was a, a completely asymptomatic group of people over 60 years old, and they did an MRI imaging study. So what they found is that 36% of them had a herniated disc show up, uh, 21% spinal stenosis, and a massive 90, over 90% had degenerated or bulging discs show up on their MRI. This whole group was asymptomatic, and you can pull many studies like this um, wow. on MRI uh, lumbar imaging studies and see that this this pattern shows up and over and over. It's like you may whatever shows up. It's like holy crap, I have a degenerated disc or degenerated spine. Um, but again, it doesn't correlate to pain. And what does that even mean? And it, these are just scare tactics. And I want to I want to kind of touch on that because yeah. not scare tactics, but it's playing into this mass confusion and mass fear that's created. Yeah. Um, and then people are defining themselves by 
what's on their images or what's on their MRI or what they've been told. Yeah. And then that's dictating what they do or don't do in their lives and, and the pain that they might uh, might have. It's playing into this. It's affecting their livelihoods when they define themselves a certain way. And even, okay, like even, let's just talk about pain very briefly. So if your back hurts, there is not a pain signal coming from your back. There is a signal coming from your, your, your structures, right? A signal goes up to your brain. Your brain is then in charge of interpreting that signal. If it takes it as a threat, it creates pain. If it takes it as a non-threat, then there's no pain. Mm -hmm. So if you think your spine is broken or faulty because someone told you on imaging you have this weird thing going on, the signal that goes up to your brain from your spine can now be something that turns into a threat because you have this perception of, okay, something's wrong down there. So this signal I'm getting means that something bad is happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot so of it is into that. It's crazy. The psychology of pain is huge. The the more you are, yeah, exactly. The more you perceive threat, the the higher your pain perception is. Yeah, um, and the fear of movement, the fear, you know, saying someone has this degenerative disc disease sounds like a terrible term, right? Mm-hmm. But like you said, ninety percent of people that were asymptomatic showed degenerative disc disease. Yeah. So, so I think that this is all we're all ta- we're talking about these factors that typically are looked at when you're when you go to your doctor you get an mri you'll you'll hear these terms degenerative disc disease disc bulge all this all, all this kind of stuff yeah they're nasty so, words our main point is that like watch out for this because this is really not telling us anything useful or much useful and again there's outlying uh cases and where that might be useful if you're losing sensation to both legs and and your uh your your genitals and and things like that like there's cases that we learn in school cotto syndrome that you need instant surgery or also so again we're not trying to uh downplay it completely but but i think that's it's big to to consider in that like most cases are still treated this way you get imaged um, you get an x-ray you get an mri you're told what's potentially causing it um so I think the the fear and confusion is a big thing. Um, I think scoliosis is another one we might want to t- oh, touch yes, on quickly. It is. Um, but the amount of people that come in to see me and it's like I've been told I have scoliosis, and then they'll they'll relate that to why they may have back pain or the problems that they've been having in their back. They're like, I was told by so and so that I just you know my spine. I got X ray. They told me my spine was my spine's crooked. My spine's crooked. But <laughs> like, and then it's like, okay, well you tell them, well that's that's normal. And I'll say, what do you mean? It's like, well, yeah, it's normal. Um, and that doesn't equate to you having pain or not. Yeah, not everyone has a perfectly arrow straight spine, nor does it mean that if you don't have a perfectly straight spine, you're doomed to having back pain. Mm-hmm. You know, have, like, and people discount the fact that, okay, maybe your muscles are trying to figure out a way to stabilize your body because you can't use certain very important areas. And part of the way it's doing that is by tightening muscles down, locking them down. And part of that is pulling your spine in a weird position. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's fixed and stuck there. No, exactly. Nor does it have to be perfectly straight. People need to just like no one's someone that says, oh, you have some degree of scoliosis. is probably not saying the thing I just said where it's like, but this is normal. This doesn't mean you should have back pain. You probably had this before you had back pain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like just putting that out there. And you can change some of it too. Yeah. So the problem lies in the fact that people go to to therapists or whoever it might be and they're told a certain message and then they interpret that message a certain way and then that affects their whole perception of, of what is the problem exactly um so i think that that like the si joint is another one people always say like my si joint is out or like <laughs> this and that like you hear all these things like out of alignment out um i popped my back like i like whatever it is yeah. i think the common things are like the the scoliosis the si joint um threw my back out 
there's these terms that are just thrown around too. And what does that even mean? I mean, I guess it means you, that that could be considered like a, a bit of acute pain, acute yeah. back pain. But but the problem is when people are like, oh yeah, okay, you your SI is out of place. Come to me and I will put it back in. Yes. No one should be help professionals out there. No one should be saying that. That happens a lot still. I know. And it's, a, it's sometimes by a certain profession, sometimes by all the rehab professionals, you know, and yeah. I think it it's toxic in terms of number one, you make the person think that there's a simple solution to why their back hurts. Number two, you create a hundred percent dependent relationship of that person requiring to come see you mm-hmm. when their back starts to hurt because they feel that some structure has gotten out of alignment and they need you to pop to, it, to go back, back and in. pop it back in place <laughs> or whatever. This is so crazy. It's, it's, like this shouldn't be allowed to be told to people, um, but but you see that quite often actually. So that's very disempowering, and and that's the opposite of what we want to do with with people is we want to empower them and give them that, because again disempowerment feeds into that fear too. Yeah. So it, it's like I don't have any control over this. Yes. I need to go see somebody. My back could just pop out at any second again yep. because typically it does. Because when I go see this person, they're actually not fixing anything. They're not addressing the root cause of anything. So. I magically don't, I start feeling shitty a few days later or a week later again. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, I better go see this person. I have no control over this at all. Um, and people fear doing stuff. It's like, well, yeah. oh, Jim, do you want to come water skiing? Well, I don't know. That's That might not be nice to my back. My back's been a little bit tricky these days, so I won't do that. And it's like you slowly shrink the circle of movement, this, this pool of movement that you feel comfortable and confident in doing. Until what are you left with? Like even mm-hmm. walking, people walk like robots because they're like, yeah, I don't want to rotate when I walk because my back might go out. It's mm-hmm. like we need to have a conversation about and and maybe we can get in this now, like just how we think of back pain, how we and, and don't get us wrong. Like as a disclaimer, this is not a replacement for getting an acute low back pain treated somewhere. All we're trying to do is clear the air because what we see in clinic and what we see with people we speak to, even friends of ours, is that there's mass confusion in 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 the world of back pain and people with sore backs, number one, people think that they're doomed to having it forever or they accept the chronicity of having a tricky, quote unquote, tricky back that goes yeah. out every year. And they just, they think they accept it as normal. That is their new normal. They've been identified with that. They've internalized that label of a bad back. So we need and they to think clear that's the permanent air. too. They, yeah. they think it's permanent in a lot of cases. And, and again, back to that lack of control. But if you think it's permanent, then you can almost like... If you put the label on it as like, I have a bad back, then it like, the story makes sense. It's like, well, that makes sense because my back hurts every day uh, a little bit. And then I throw it out two, three times a year. So the label I put on it, like I have a bad back. And the thing that the the doctor told me and the imaging, this all makes sense now. I'm the person with the bad back. So that kind of defines the whole situation where it doesn't need to be. And I think we assume as we like these stories that make sense to us and we can kind of rationalize the situation. So, but again... Sometimes it's like telling people it's hard to to look at this sometimes, but again, it comes back to they need to feel it. So if you if you get somebody to feel that oh, when I do this and I take control of this, then it changes my perception of either the pain or or how I feel or how I move or or how I interpret my situation. That's going to be big, right? So I think that's the first step into yeah. how they we need look to self at it. realize that they they can do stuff when their back really hurts. That's one thing. It's like you can do stuff on yourself. You just you have to understand your way out of pain, especially with back pain. Mm-hmm. That holds true. It's like a little bit of understanding of strategies you can take when your back is sore or in pain. Strategies you can take if you ever do have some sort of acute issue where it's really painful for a certain period of time because you did something. Like having strategies where you can feel and control that will reduce the pain because you automatically feel in control. You have less fear. And the problem with, um, you know, as people with 
quote unquote tricky backs is you get people in and you're like, okay, well at the end of this, we're going to, we're going to get you out of pain. We're going to improve your movement. And then we're actually going to load your spine. We're going to teach your brain how to fire certain muscles to hold your spine in a safe position. And they're like, Oh no, I've been told, I was told never to, to lift anything. It's like, mm-hmm. I would never deadlift. I should never lift anything. It's like, well, how do you, how do you pick up your groceries? Like, how do you, how do you go through life? You have to pick stuff up. We may as well rehearse how to do it properly. And you see this all the time. We're like told by medical professionals, don't lift anything. Yeah. Or like do low impact stuff or like, it's like, you'll be, you'll see a 40 year old and it's like, well, I was told maybe I should stick to some lower impact stuff. I do, I just stay in the pool. Like I do some pool. Like we're not saying that's bad. That's great. You're doing some movement in the pool, but Um, you know, outside, we're not, we're not animals that live in water. Like we need to, we need to deal with stuff outside, <laughs> Good point. outside of water. Right. So that's where gravity takes hold a little bit more than in the water. Yeah. Um, so we should start to learn how to, to, um, build some robustness and, and control ourselves and, and move well and, and adapt to loads under the, in, in the environment. So, so let's th- talk about how we look at low back pain. Yeah. How like so, um, let's just talk about the big fat, like the big elephants in the room when it comes to back pain of, major factors that are are contributing factors let's say they're not it's not one individual cause but there is this package of factors that contribute to almost everyone play a huge part in everyone's back pain Mm -hmm. we could almost characterize it as like well let's talk about some biomechanical factors Mm -hmm. and then we'll touch on some of the other factors that we've already considered some of the psychological and some of the sociological and some of the medicalized all that kind of stuff too but then let's talk about global stuff as well. Maybe we should start with that as just like, I think that what I want to figure out when somebody comes in with back pain is like, what are you, what are they doing with their, with their body or what are they doing yeah. just in general on a daily basis? Yeah. What does their day look like? Um, so just, just figuring this out because everybody knows, like if, if I find out some information, because sometimes you'll find, sometimes they'll tell it right to you. They're like, okay, well I have a, an office job and I sit for, uh, you know, eight hours a day. And then you'll ask, okay, well, what is the big, what are some of the things that cause your back pain? Like, well, sitting every time I get up from sitting, like, so they'll tell you, right, every oh, time okay. I get up from sitting. Every time I get up That's from sitting or in sitting, like whatever it is, but, and it might not be sitting, but it's just like, what does your day look like? What are you doing with your body? Um, that's the first question. Before, I don't even care about your MRI. Um, what are you doing with your body? People come in sometimes. They're like, oh, yeah, I got my x-ray my MRI. You want them? I'm like, no, I don't really need them right now. They're yeah. like, really? You don't want to see them? Isn't this important? And it's like you have to almost like have a conversation be like, okay, maybe I'll look at it later. But like you're going to tell me exactly why you have this problem. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk about the cause of why it happens, not just look at a picture of what your body's, not look at a snapshot of what, what your spine is like right now. Yeah. It doesn't, and, and people are shocked. They're like, oh, well, why did you almost see people's brains go like, why the hell did I get this done then? It took me three months to get an MRI on my mm-hmm. spine. You're not even going to look at it? Yeah. People and- are almost confused. And it's the same thing. It shows you that they're just... They don't understand. They've never been, they've never had that conversation before with anyone. And that's an important piece is educating them on these things in a way that, that, that makes them understand it because they need to know how, how you're thinking about it as a, as a therapist too. It's like, um, and that, that helps them too. And it's like, okay, well these, these can be, these are just little snippets of information, the images that you got and they may, they don't really tell us what might be happening and you'll just talk to them. Maybe it takes five minutes to, to discuss what we've just been discussing and then they'll be like, okay. Again, you can usually see, sense them being like, okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. cool. And then we can move on in the conversation and, and just say, okay, that's one piece. But let's look for the other bigger pieces and in terms of what might be uh, contributing factors to your back pain. And then then that'll help us to design kind of a plan to help you get out of it. Yeah. Um, so I think the, you know, the first thing is what are you doing with your body on a daily basis? And that might be... 
during the day at at work, that's probably the biggest chunk of people's day is like their workplace situation. Mm-hmm. But then it's like also outside of work. So what are you doing outside of work? What are your activities, hobbies, sports, um, things that you like to do? Yeah. Um, and then how much movement is your body exposed to during the day? Then then it's that too. Exactly. Like movement rich how how movement rich is your day yeah. or how much um lack of movement is your day or is it lack of movement all day and then like you say go in and work out hardcore for an hour right after you've been sitting all day and then go sit again so that mm-hmm. is it like that um so i'm trying to look at like what are they doing or not doing um to maybe help keep movement in their joints like do they have a mobility routine do they do things that that help them maintain some baseline level of movement and mobility and the reality is most people don't they don't mm-hmm. think they need to right and it's like that whole sitting thing where people talk about yeah uh after i sit like sitting feels fine like a lot of people i, I used to hear this sitting feels fine when i get up from sitting my back hurts mm-hmm. so what do those people do they go back to sitting Mm-hmm. And then standing becomes harder and harder to the point where they're like hunched over or, or they're like, oh, it takes like a minute or two for me to f- like loosen up after I get standing from sitting. Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's let's talk about this because it's not just about never sit because for a lot of people it's not sustainable. But it's like, okay, let's talk about why it hurts when you get up from sitting. Yeah, you're almost well, so biomechanically, maybe we can talk about the hip and how, you know, if you spend most of your day in hip flexion then going into standing and just fighting gravity, your body all of a sudden, you know, is never exposed to vitamin G, gravity. Your body's never exposed to it. It doesn't know how to properly stabilize against it because it's very rarely exposed to it. And if you, once you stand up, like you've got your hips there to to help support your body. Um, You've got better access to your your core musculature to help support your spine. Everything is just kind of like the load is distributed better. Whereas when you're sitting, you're, you're actually loading your spine a little bit more. Um, So your, your legs are kind of popped up off the ground. So you're kind of sitting on that spine a little bit. Um, And again, it's not to like, again, sitting is part of our life so it's not to say don't sit and it's not to create fear for sitting because again um that's not going to be helpful for anybody but everybody knows what it feels like after a six-hour flight on an airplane i don't look at it like everybody as soon as the light goes on and the doors open everyone's like oh shit like it feels amazing to stand up um it just feels like but they're also like if like everyone's stiff they're like oh i've been sitting for six hours people are stretching so it's like everybody knows what happens like let's not lie here too right so it's like let's not say that sitting is good for you Um, (laughs) like we just got to be smart about this let's Um, let's put an asterisk by that we're talking about sitting in chairs because sitting on the floor is very different that you're still taking a break from gravity but you can't sit with your hip and knees at 90 degrees if you're sitting on the floor Mm -hmm. Um, no sitting in chairs for prolonged periods of time it's just it's not friendly to your body your body adapts that shape and, and gets good at sitting. Sitting for long period of time, periods of time sends a signal to your body to get good at sitting, which means mm-hmm. it tightens up certain muscles to hold you into that position more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And then when you basically get stuck in that position and get up, your body's like, oh, uh-oh, we got to rearrange things here. Yeah, And, it's, and it it's does whatever strategy it can. Perception-based, too. I think a lot of it is just like that lack of uh, movement variety. So I was thinking about this the other day, like when... The way we learn to become good movers is is just through through trial and error, and the only way to get better at at, um, at kind of gaining control of that body of yours is through doing doing it. So the more you start to move, um, the more you like you figure out like oh it feels better when I do this or like you fi- you figure this stuff out as you move. Yeah, and that's how we're designed. That's our it's movement system. Solving. It's like yeah. a, 
multiple problems being solved every single second when you're standing or moving and your body's like, okay, well, this mm-hmm. strategy Well, when I do this, better. exactly. So you just have less, the less movement rich your life, the less chances you, you have to figure these little things out uh, on a personal level. It's like, oh, I, you know, when I stand this way, it helps, you know, when I move this way, you figure this stuff out. Um, and it really is, it should be very intuitive and it just go, go by feel, go by what feels good, mm-hmm. um, you know, proprioception wise, but that's, that's exactly what kids do. Um, but I think we lose that when we just have complete lack of movement. We're not stimulated to the point where we need to make these changes. Or we, we don't have the actual data to to make the changes because it's just a lack of data. And even, you know, the, the problem-solving ability of the body is almost like a double-edged sword because one analogy I give in the seminar is if you have a river that's rushing, that's kind of rushing by, if you take a rock and put it in the middle of the river, the river doesn't stop flowing. It just goes around the rock. Mm-hmm. So if you get up from sitting and your body's supposed to orient itself with your pelvis and your ribs stacked so that you can engage and, and get access to the to all these hip stabilizers, the glutes, the core, if you get up and your hip is stuck, so someone puts a rock in that river, your hip is locked, it cannot extend or can't even get to neutral, your body still stands and still moves, but you recruit these muscles that aren't designed to do the role of stabilizing your pelvis to now do that role because the muscles that should be able to do it no longer are plugged in because that restriction, that rock, that hip mobility restriction has has stopped you from orienting your posture in a way that allows this balanced recruitment. Mm-hmm. So your body learns that and it says, okay, well, this is the only strategy we got, so let's use it because this human has to get up, fight gravity, and move around. So let's just use that strategy because it's the only one available. And yeah. I think too many people are trying to, okay, your low back, and your hamstrings turn into muscles that now have to be on all the time to stabilize your pelvis. And we get so caught up in, okay, let's loosen up the back, let's do this, blah, blah, blah. We lose touch with the fact that, okay, the joint in the middle not moving is the pro- is the chief problem with with that particular case. And so we just get distracted. So what you're discussing is, the, is hip mobility. And, and I think that without getting like too deep into biomechanical factors, one of the, th- the elephants in the room is, is hip mobility. Yeah. And, and it, I even looked into studies on this and the studies say the same thing. So, so one study in, by Lee and Kim in 2015, and again, it, it kind of explains that uh, low back patients showed significantly greater um, limitations in hip range of motion compared to asymptomatic controls. Um, and then they defined, um, again, we don't want to be too pathoanatomical, but people with lumbar instability, so so uh, kind of worse control over their lumbar spines, they had even greater uh, limitations in, in hip uh, mobility in the study for, these, for this group. Hmm. So again, it's just demonstrating something we, we've, we've discussed in the past is that uh, one great thing to do um, if you have low back issues is, is make sure those hips are moving moving pretty well. So yeah. just maintain hip mobility. So we're talking about, I would say just, just make sure they're moving fairly well in general, but specifically extending well, because that's where that standing and walking comes into play where they can use them a little bit better. Uh, so make sure they're rotating well, extending. And, and again, it just comes down to like maybe doing a few mobilizations. So a few key mobilizations to make sure these joints move fairly well. And a lot of that is just to offset what you're doing um, in terms of like the, the sitting you might be doing or the lack of movement or lack of uh, positional variation throughout your day. You have to add a little bit of supplement to that in the form of some mobility work to make sure these are moving yeah and like time spent not moving a joint requires time on the back end moving that joint even more than usual to kind of counteract those effects yeah like your body's just a reflection of how you use it if you do not move or joints are, are put in a static position for a long period of time then unless they're given a signal aka movement or some sort of mobility work targeted mobility work to move then they will remain stiff and if the joint that should be moving 
so that your low back doesn't have to 24 seven does not move. That is where we need to, to have a conversation with people. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like those simple, but not easy, right? Like simple, it's pretty easy to understand, but it's not easy because society is engineered around sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. But we can take that concept too. And like, so the hips, but also just, uh, we can expand that out to the rest of the body, just maintaining just a, a little baseline level of, of joint mobility in the yeah. form of like joint hygiene. Yep. And now we know the methods. There's there's many great uh, methods, uh, mobilizations. There's there's great systems out there that, that cover this too. So we know it's all there. Um, I think we need to be better at educating people on this and it needs to filter into the medical system. But mm-hmm. just maintaining some baseline joint mobility goes a long way. And again, what you're not doing throughout the day you might need to supplement with so so i think in terms of low back pain that would be big and and we look at the we can use that um the regional interdependence model to to look at the low back in this case and again it's not going to explain every part of your low back pain but if you if you have a a segment of the spine the lumbar spine and we're talking about that's the the most common area that people will feel their pain and then we look at the segments joint segments below at the at the hips and then then above in that thoracic area that thoracic spine and they're lacking a lot of mobility a lot of potential movement um, at these above and below areas then that's a big reason why Things are going to have to move differently. Things are going to have to work differently, essentially, like you already mentioned. So we, we yeah. just want to look at, are, are we moving fairly well through, the, through these areas? And uh, what can we do to, to get them moving well if they aren't? Um, and then how can that play into the other goals for, for your low back? Like getting you just, as a, as a human, just moving a little bit more, making your life a bit more movement rich. Um, and that's a big one, because we always talk about protect, correct, develop. It's like, okay, your hips... The, the area below and above where you're having your discomfort. So above the lumbar spine, you have T-spine. Below, you have the hips. Mobilizing those two, but also rewinding even more and being like, why am I constantly getting stiff in my hips and my upper back? Maybe it's the positions I adopt for prolonged periods of time during the day. Mm. How can I modify those? Because being on this constant carousel of having to mobilize your upper back because it gets stiff, it, at least it gives people the understanding that they have control over that mobility and they can improve it and work on it. But they also have to know like, what is causing this? Because it's not humans are designed to 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 turn into Quasimodo long term. We need to understand well, why is my back stiffening up? Like, oh, I'm putting my body in that rounded upper back position when I sit at a computer all day. One because my the cushioning on my chair is soft, so my pelvis kind of tilts back, so my upper body has to tilt forward. I'm reaching forward to reach for my laptop or, or my keyboard. Maybe I can modify my daily positions bit by bit and and get towards. You know, the eventual goal is to have a movement-rich workplace, right? To yeah. have a place that, that literally engineers out the ability to sit or, 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 and not just sit, like stand even in one static position for long periods of time because it's variety, right? It's, it's movement and variety and the ability to change position on a regular basis that determines whether or not your body gets fixed and stuck in one position. And there's this big, uh, you'll see it on social media and I think... Th- we we like to go like we we like the extremes of things. So there's this whole movement of like posture doesn't matter, position doesn't matter, <laughs> and I see what they're saying, but the, yeah. but it also it does like it does. So and again we can just use <laughs> like we can use examples and we like very simple examples. Like if I sit um, or if I stand uh, completely, like if I force myself into a quote unquote bad posture, I will feel crappy after a few minutes and then I'll want to change it. And again, a lot of it is they're talking about like, you know, changing your posture all the time is what needs. And that's exactly it. You need to change it. But posture does matter. And then it's like we look at people with, um, let's say, 
a huge amount of thoracic kyphosis, maybe an elderly person who are who have almost those looks like structural changes where they're really like hunched really over. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, if posture or position didn't matter, how did they become like that? Yeah. Like did they did were they born like that? No, because we saw that person fifty years ago and they were like an athlete and they were moving well through their thoracic. So how did they become like that yeah. if position didn't matter? So it's because they spent a lot of time in that position and they be, they became that position over time. Exactly. And it's not again, it's not fear mongering, it's nothing. It's just like, okay, if if I sat in a ball every day for like ten hours, I'd get pretty stiff like a ball. Yeah. Um, and then I would be like, okay, well, I'm starting to become more like a ball because I'm adopting that <laughs> position every day. So I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to expose myself to other positions so I don't become like that. And yeah. that's all we're saying. It's just like, let's be real here. It does matter. And it's the context that we're talking about. Yeah. So. Everything has to be put into context because people people like simple answers. People like black and white answers. People like to be told, this is how d- deep you should squat or this is the best posture. It's like, we need to get away from these absolutes and just have a general conversation about how these individual factors, which all matter, right mm-hmm. they matter to varying extents none of none of these factors are the be all and end all the most important one because it's a manifestation of how all these things mesh together to result in whether or not you have pain whether or not you're able to adopt certain positions and i think the biggest thing is we've just as a culture we've gotten away from moving the the requirement for movement is no longer there right yeah. you have to move to get food you had to move to build shelter and feed your young we no longer have to you can sit in a chair all day you can sit in a chair 10 hours a day and survive and be perfectly fine Mm-hmm. Right, so we need to build awareness for something that should be intuitive, but has become so disconnected with us now that people need this information because they're not getting it in school, they're not getting it from the medical community. It seems, at yeah. least, not at large. And so, I think the podcast is a good way to reach people with the stuff that they need to know. Because exactly. if you understand how your body works just a little bit better, the basic stuff, the stuff a ten-year-old can understand, you can prevent most of what we see people for in clinic. Mm-hmm. It just requires a daily. Um, consistency of just reflecting on your positions reflecting on your movement as a whole during the day not just the one hour you do at the gym but like your the other 15 hours Um, and and just prioritizing like okay is this a good position for me to be in oh I've been here for like two hours and I haven't moved maybe I should move maybe I should do go into a squat maybe I should move my hips a little bit and And I think that's important your body that like there's other factors that we can discuss too that play into that back pain but again back to like how you're moving and using your physical machine does matter in, an incredible amount yeah um and then we talk about you know using your your core and just being in a position to use your core and again your body figures that stuff out um over time through use so if i give you if you carry enough stuff over time like you'll, you'll figure out that there's a better way to carry and then there's a, a worse way to carry for yeah. instance um if your job is like and again there's always exceptions to the rule but if my job was to like pick stuff off the ground all day i i'd probably figure out a pretty efficient way to pick stuff off the ground right yeah people with manual labor jobs don't have nearly as much back pain as desk workers exactly and And most people are like what that really there's the other extreme too where it's like okay is it really natural to like only pick up logs for like 12 hours a day probably <laughs> not either so again it's all the context but it's probably a guy out there that's just a piece though that does <laughs> yeah. that all day it's like no, i exactly. love it <laughs> I, it's, I found that funny like going to the uh, the ymca back in the day you'd meet a couple dudes um that uh would be like manual laborers and then they'd be the ones like grinding it out in the gym they'd be like grinding all day like shoveling and then you'd see them at like six o'clock at the gym doing like max deadlifts for two hours you're like holy (laughs) shit dude you don't get enough um but that's that's like again part and parcel like the people who move a lot like it just feeds into it and they were feeling great just like they're also the most like fit people at the gym and they just like were working using their body all day long 
So and they probably had issues, but I they they probably didn't have the same chronic issues that go like they'll be like, oh shit, I'm really sore. I did a lot, and then like a couple days later, they're back in there grinding it out, and like yeah, okay, maybe some of those guys are are doing max deadlifts maybe too frequently, but overall. They have a better understanding of their machine. They've mm-hmm. they know where the limits are. They use it on a regular basis, hopefully through a nice variety of movement. And um and and yeah, like that person, even though they're crushing their body on a regular basis, most of the time doesn't have the same level or degree of problems on a daily basis as the average office worker. Yeah. Which to to a lot of people is like, what really? That's so stre- basically run experiments on the body and stress test the body. Yeah. And then you figure out, like you say, like. Oh, I, oh, there we go. I pushed it too much that time. So I need to kind of self-regulate it down a little bit or, uh, oh, that was great. Like I can keep going or whatever it might be. Yeah. But if you don't even stress this anything or if you don't experiment or, or uh, like introduce these scenarios to your body, you will never figure it out. Yeah, so, you don't even know where the limits are. That's the thing. So I think just quickly touching before we get into maybe some other ways that we can... Because um, after this, I want to talk about spinal awareness. Cause I think yeah. That's a big one. We We kind of talked about that, but... Yeah. Talk about whatever so you were wanting to talk Well, about. it kind of feeds into, well, spinal awareness feeds into what we were just talking about. It's just like, if you're in a, you just need to, f- you know, figure out where you are in space. And yeah. a lot of that, after we talk about that mobility, control, I think is a big part. And that spinal awareness and control feeds into, to low back pain quite, quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like developing that awareness of where is my spine in space? Can I control my spine? Do I have that that conscious control over where I can move it wherever, which way I want. Do I know what it feels like to move through my hips? Do I have that awareness to dissociate my movement at the hip from movement at the spine? Yeah. Uh, Can I stabilize my spine when I want it to be stabilized? Meaning like, can I control my spine and prevent unwanted movement by using my core? For instance, when I'm picking something heavy up or carrying something, I don't want my spine moving all around. I don't want to be completely lax. Do I know what it feels like to do that? Yeah. So I think it's like, like you say, it's just, build awareness, build control, and then layer around some load and develop some strength on top of that. And that can be, that's kind of after we decide what's potentially causing this, lifestyle factors and all that, then we can start to, like you say, develop. We can develop this strength. We can develop awareness. Develop resilience. Yeah, I think spinal awareness, like most people just don't know where the spines are in space, Mm -hmm. right? Like you ask someone, um, go down and, and pick this up, but don't bend your back. And the first thing they do is like, bend their back like a rainbow and they're not purposely they think in their mind that they're not bending their back they're like yeah i'm doing this from my hips but that you can see the disconnect between what's actually happening and what they think is going on and so they have no awareness of when their spine is flexed when it's extended when mm-hmm. it's side flexed all that kind of stuff and i think one thing one analogy i give is like you go on google maps and there hasn't been um, one of those little cars with the cameras on it that's gone there yet and it's completely black so there's no data there people like you don't you can't see anything and I think most of the time, it almost seems like people with low back pain or have these backs that literally their brains do not want to let their spine move because it doesn't know where the safe and the dangerous zones are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting on your hands and knees and bending your spine up, bending your spine the other way, flexing, extending, you know, even in standing, pretending like your hips, your pelvis is a bowl and trying to do like this rotation, almost like what those belly dancers do, where you just rotate, move your spine in all these different positions. You should be able to bend and 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 move your spine. And and anytime you talk about, oh, go to neutral, embrace your core, embrace your spine in neutral, people are like, oh, well, you should be able to bend your spine, bro. Do Jefferson curls or whatever it is. It's like, okay, I agree the spine should be able to do that, but you still need, like you said, the awareness to know when your spine is bending, when your spine is not, exactly. and when you should brace your spine in a safe 
centered position it's the intent so if you're doing <laughs> if you're doing jefferson curls and you don't want to be doing jefferson curls <laughs> exactly like, that's, that's what we're talking problem. about if you're in complete control of your spine while doing jefferson curls that's yeah. fine it's the intention behind it um if your deadlift is a jefferson curl this yeah. is no bueno and then it's then again it's like if i want to be if i'm trying to gain strength and i'm trying to lift max load well, there's better ways of being more in a neutral spine will will allow you to handle more axial load through your spine, and it's yeah. just a better way and place to your be, spine. and a more efficient. If we're talking about like, and then we can go down like the whole performance side of things. It's like, well, powerlifters they'll find their their sweet spot there, but again, it comes down to like them. They know where they are in space. Yeah, they definitely know where they are in space, and then they're able to control when they want to control. And they're able to achieve the positions that they want to achieve and maintain the positions they want to achieve. So, like so you said. Step, step one is populate those Google Maps. Go exactly. from black, like send a little car in there with cameras on it. Figure out, okay, here's the landscape. Here's the big picture. So, I now that I've explored my spinal mobility, my spinal positioning, I know this is the extreme of flexion. This is the extreme of extension. These are the extremes where going beyond there will be unsafe. My brain now feels more confident knowing, okay, I know that I know the two extremes and I know the in-between. So I know that the, you know, for a lot of people, if you don't have that data or the whole range of motion that you're aware of is this tiny little speck, then obviously when you go down and pick up a feather and you go beyond that speck of positioning, your spine going slightly beyond where it normally is in terms of flexion might be seen as a threat to mm -hmm. your spinal cord. And, and can react accordingly in terms of going into spasm and getting pain, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't mean you physically blew out a disc or blasted your spinal cord. It means your brain sensed that you went beyond its normal range of motion that it acknowledges as safe because you've never actually explored other ranges of motion. Mm -hmm. And then it says, okay, let's bring you back to this position. Let's lock down all the muscles. Like It's like prison lockdown mode. No one's allowed to move. We don't know what's going on until we figure it out. Not allowed to move. And yeah. so now just standing or walking, you walk like a two by four because your brain just doesn't want to let any movement happen. It's that subconscious fear and this conscious fear. It's yeah. both. It, we'll it's give like... the example of the guy that you treated uh, yesterday or the day before, like yeah. how he walked in and what, and kind of just a, like, we'll just do a brief case because this illustrates that point very well. And it, this is a very, like, it's a common thing that you'll see. So somebody with a more of an acute bout of, of back pain will come in and this guy in particular was walking very... He wasn't walking with any sort of follow-through extension, very like choppy steps, and he was almost bent to the side a little bit. He had a little bit of a list. So he was stuck. He basically. was kind of, he was essentially stuck, and he was just almost, like you say, walking like a board. Yeah, so, shuffling. Uh, and he's like, I don't know what to do. Um, so we, again, I, I calmed him. We, we discussed things. We figured all that stuff out. Um, and then it, we were talking about all these things that we've already been talking about, like, you know, don't like just trying to calm them down a little bit saying like, okay, we'll try to figure this out today. Um, and then I started to, uh, did a little bit of tissue work on his back, just try to get some passive movement in there. But that was just to kind of open him up a little bit so we could get to the active stuff. Yep. Um, we did settle some, down some of the muscle tone that's just locked down, like open exactly. up the doors a bit so that you can actually move. That's it. And then basically we went over and we did a half an hour uh, hip mobility and kind of core priming session. So all we did was just some some gentle, like some rocking, some some 90-90, just opening up the hips, going back to the rocking, going back to the 90-90, doing a uh, do hip, open up the, the front of the hip a little bit, uh, working on hip extension. That was big because he was walking with like, la like um, negative hip extension. His legs were like in front of him and he was kind of like bent over. Yeah. So we were just trying to open everything up. And then I got him down doing a few core priming exercise with an exercise ball all this stuff was on the ground so that was the key we we're trying to decrease threat uh we we're yeah, just the trying to safe the body's not worried you're not fighting gravity it's a safe place your body's less likely to be in this 
just kind of enraged state where it's like, don't let anything happen. Exactly. Like, okay, this is safe. We're touching the ground. We're not far. There's not much gravity. Let's let more things happen. Yeah. So I got him to drive some more movement. I got him rolling a bit. So after we did all this, it's like, okay, let's, let's get up to the feet. And then like he was up straight and then he was walking good. Right. And he's like, holy shit. Um, and he wanted to send a video to his wife. <laughs> he, he actually got me to take a video of him to send it uh, to his wife. Cause he's like, she's not going to believe this. So he was giving the thumbs up walking by. Awesome. So, but what that showed is like, that proved to him, and again, that's my main goal with somebody who's in acute back pain or back pain in general. If you can prove to them that what I did was coach you through this stuff, but you did it. You did it yourself, right? And then you, you did this thing, and then it caused this thing. It caused you to feel better, walk better, move better. Um, it caused you to gain uh, control and a sense of control over this thing. Um, that's big. Because you walked in and be like, oh, shit. And, I, and then I wrote down a little program for you. Do this, this, and this. Yeah. Keep this up for the next week. Come see me in a week or two. All that kind of stuff. So it's like now he's his whole not only his was his back feeling better his whole sense of like control. his whole demeanor his sense of control um his mood everything was better after just doing a little bit of this yeah. um because he was the guy he was the guy who has been defined over over years and getting into his history before that he was the guy who said these same exact words we talked about i'm i have a bad back i throw my back out two three times a year this this and this so it's like okay this is kind of that prototype typical message that you know there's the imaging that was along with it it was kind of the perfect case of that um and i'm not saying like i told him like your back is not like perfect now like it's just like okay we need to work on this but this shows you that you implemented something and you had an effect cause and effect let's look at the cause and effect it worked well we can repeat this give you something that's uh, repeatable uh, at home so you can take it into your own hands that's so powerful and, because, um, because yeah. he feels like part of the reason he was so happy was yeah he's not in pain but also he probably understands every single thing you did with him there was mm-hmm. nothing you didn't stick needles in him you didn't do some weird weird stuff that he can't understand Right. Didn't you didn't put his do, back in. You didn't do stuff on him. You did. You showed him stuff he can do, mm-hmm. and I he can replicate. With him. Exactly. I was and, down but, there with him, working on all the stuff, showing him. So that's the key there. I love doing stuff to, to patients because it's, it lets you release all these muscles on a daily basis oh, and sure. move on a daily basis unintentionally because you're just like, I got to demonstrate this so that they know how to do it. But you're doing it yourself. That's the thing. So. And you can, yeah. So and it's that's that part of that buy-in. But along with that, we, we tackled not only that, we, we tackled all three elements or we tackled the movement side of things, the mobility side of things, just, but we also tackled those, the thoughts and the, the psychological part of things, the, the, uh, the story and the defining oneself is this, the breaking the mass confusion and really kind of putting things back into terms in terms of like, you have control over this, simple terms, um, too. simple terms, your spine is not, uh, destroyed all of this kind of stuff so breaking it down on that end so that really helped feed into it as well and let's and then, be real if he has ddd or he has some sort of spinal bulge it was still there after that 30 minutes that you did with mm-hmm. him but the pain was gone exactly so making the disconnect of okay maybe some stuff is going on in your spine maybe you had an image at some period of time and it showed some stuff that might not be perfect okay that's 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 a fact we can't erase that in your brain but we need people to understand that that does not define whether or not you have pain or not. And it doesn't change the fact that we need to get rid of the causes that are, that are creating those issues in the spine long term. That's it. Right? If, you're, if your low back is acting like your hip because your hips can't move, let's work on your hips. Let's make sure you understand that that is the simple mechanism that can be part of why this is happening. And that you have control over the mobility of your hips. And if your hips and your upper back move, your spine, your low back mm-hmm. doesn't have to act like your hips. Exactly. So 
And again, delving into the environment um, is something you want to do because this is some of the big things that are contributing. So treat the environment. I I heard someone say that the other day. It's like sometimes the best treatment you can do with someone is to help them treat their environment, help them change the environment that created this problem and is constantly recreating the problem if the environment is not addressed. Exactly. You know, and maybe this this is a good time to get into um, switching to standing because we need to we need to air this out a bit. It is not as simple as, okay, sitting is not good. It stiffens up my hips. It takes away my extension, which creates more extension at my low back. Can contribute to that. It's not as simple as I sit all day, every day at work. I'm just going to go straight to standing. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, you know, the biggest thing overarching all this is it is not the so much the position. It's the fact that you're in a static position for a long period of time. And you need time to adapt to standing. You yes. need time to adapt to a different position. And when you're standing, what you put on your feet plays an even bigger role in determining whether or not you even have the right input or, or foundation to adopt a, a more normal position or a more normal posture. So yeah. let's go through very quickly. If you sit all day, the end goal is to have a standing workstation, more so because it allows you to be more dynamic, right? Like this desk that we're at right now, we're standing, there's a bar underneath, we put our leg up, you know, we stand on one leg, you, you know, you're kind of shifting your hips back and forth. Um, there's movement variety. There's the capability of variety where a tiny little movement that you make can completely switch the load going through your body. Whereas mm-hmm. in a chair, number one, the reminder is not there because you can be very comfortable in a, you know, a $500 desk office chair. But number two, you just don't have the variety available to you. So yes, everyone should shift to a more dynamic, um, chiefly movement-oriented workstation. Right. Yeah. For a lot of people, it's going to be a standing desk, but that allows them to explore different movements. But it needs so a couple things. It needs to be gradual. You need to make sure you're not standing on a ramp. So if you're wearing a shoe with a higher heel than forefoot, you're automatically standing on a ramp, putting more weight on your forefoot, enabling all these weird pelvic things going on. We're not supposed to stand on ramps. And number two, if you stand up all day with sitting hips, if you, if your hips that you have not changed the mobility for are geared around sitting, those restrictions will manifest when you stand in the way of not letting you stand with optimal positioning. So you can actually get more pain standing all day if you haven't done anything to correct the tension developed from a lifetime of sitting or the shoes that you wear being ramps. That's it. It needs to be part of the conversation because people... You need to almost turn your hips back into... Get your hips back to their stabilizing roles when you're on your feet because it is new. They're having to... So it's a fatigue thing too. It's like if you're not used to being there all day... You need to train. It's almost like you're training up to that, like mm-hmm. anything else you're doing. 10% um, rule. 10% more standing per week. Over That means over like 10 weeks, mm-hmm. you're going, it's going to take you 10 weeks to go from sitting to standing. And there's work involved to make sure that that standing is actually good and not bad. And then use sitting as the break. And then, yeah. it, then it's, but it's also like it's more energy intensive, which is good. That's a good thing. A lot of people will, re- we're reverting too far down the less energy, less and less and less energy mm-hmm. expended. So it's a good thing that it's harder to stand. And a little bit of that, coming back to that spinal awareness and where you are in space and using those hips um, because you're on them now. Yep. Um, so and these are all pelvic gonna... tilts all day. You know, sure. you can tilt your pelvis back, forward, move it all around. You know, like vi- you're getting vitamin G all day. You're getting gravity is acting on you. You are having to problem solve every single second that you're standing. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with taking a break from gravity that, you know, taking a break and sitting in a chair is fine as long as that is not your default position. We talked about this before where now to take a break, people stand instead of taking a break and sitting because Mm -hmm. the default is now sitting in chairs. 
That's it. So flipping that over and just slowly working to kind of re-architect your body as it slowly adapts to this new work environment and taking it slow. And the other thing is the the feet and that, and that when you're on your feet, you're having to use them to and, and they kind of ingrain that hip to foot connection, yeah. but also use them for support and stability. So you're getting good work done on your feet just by standing, assuming you have a decent pair of footwear on or like I've been telling a lot of, of patients is just like, if you don't care about what you look like in your cubicle, just pop your shoes off. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not the hard. end of the world. <laughs> so a lot of people, it's like, fine, you have to go to a meeting, wear your shoes, but pop them off in your in your yeah. cubicle. Exactly. So that can be and a good Especially day. if you're standing, it just, I, I just wanted to put that in there because people underestimate how important your shoes can be if you're transitioning to standing. Because if you stand on a ramp, it, it just puts you at an automatic disadvantage at your foundation so that everything upstream has to constantly try and compensate to this heel lift that you're standing on. Mm-hmm. A couple last things I think we should touch on is like it is complex and there's other factors that can play into back pain. For instance, the studies will show that stress is a big player too. And stress is a big player into any types of pain. So both physical and emotional. But stress plays into spine pain specifically and, and again it's it's something that we see quite a bit. So that's related the the chronic pain. So that's related more into like lifestyle factors too. So, um, are you sleeping? Exactly. So other things like that, and that plays into the stress. So looking at these other low hanging fruits, the uh, the stress, the sleep, the diet, um, in conjunction with their thoughts on the situation, in conjunction with all of the the meat and potatoes of the the movement and the biomechanics and all of that, mm-hmm. I think that's the recipe for dealing with it. But we can't forget these big factors. If you find somebody's just you know, working themselves to death, they're dying of stress, they're, they've go, they're going through a specific life situation. Um, that is something that can really be a factor that, and maybe you're not the, the best person to deal with it, but maybe you start to address it a little bit and maybe yeah. you can refer them to, to somebody um, who can help with that or you have some little tools in your toolbox to help them find go in the right direction uh, for stress reduction strategies, breathing techniques, and that's another thing. A lot of these people with uh, neck and back pain are, are very... Um, correlated with with breathing that's not quite on 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 point a lot of it is like that stress pattern of breathing too Mm -hmm. so uh, just just strategies to help reduce these other factors that might be playing into their pain um in addition to the the meat and potatoes of it so yeah maybe a good way to finish off is let's talk about low-hanging fruit you know protect correct develop in terms of low back pain and this is the you know yes this is going to be kind of a cookie cutter recommendation but I think people think that ev- that everyone needs a specific solution to their individual specific presentation of symptoms. And you, you know, mm-hmm. the same person, three people might have totally different pain presentations, but a lot of times it's the same global overarching patterns, you know, lack of movement, uh, static positions for long periods of day that are causing all these different individual patterns of symptoms, but the same root cause. So if we go protect, correct, develop, let's, let's, let's touch on one point for each of those things. So... I think protect, we already talked about it, is you need to get more movement. You know, protecting your body, protecting your spine revolves around getting more movement during the day in your spine. So spending less time in a chair, switching over to more time standing, more time just moving, period. Right. And I think that's really what we're saying is going from sitting to standing is really get more movement. Right. Mm -hmm. It gives you the opportunity to get more movement. It loads your body. It allows your brain to go through this problem solving sequence of what's the best way to orient all my Jenga blocks and fire all these little tiny stabilizer muscles to stop this human machine from falling over. You just go through more problem solving cycles by being standing and not sitting. But also, you know, maybe sitting on the floor, maybe kneeling. 
right? Maybe making sure you have more walks or, or, or force yourself to, to traverse distance, to walk more, like specifically put things. Okay. I use the stapler five times a day. I'm going to put the stapler 20 meters away so that I have to go there and walk to get it, you know, and mm-hmm. engineer your, your, your day and protect yourself by just not being static for prolonged periods of day, especially in the chair sitting position, because that's really a nasty one for generating tension in the in the anterior hip. Mm-hmm. For correct, yeah, correct is just addressing some of these mobility mobility restrictions. restrictions. Yeah. Um, what you do in your workouts or at the gym that can be tailored to to correcting. It shouldn't just be a lot of people like to like they're running for developing cardio um, or they're lifting weights to develop strength. But it's like use these things to help you feel better, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a time you add in a bit of mobility work. You you implement some strength work that will help your back. You look at the the skill of how you're moving and, and your efficiency and, and how you're lifting and, and just really go, turning your, your training into a mindful time to correct the way um, things that might need to be corrected. Even having a joint hygiene program. Like yeah. Just. You know, get your parts moving like parts are supposed to move again, so that you have a blank slate to layer on new software. Just keep keep the parts moving because it, you can do hips. all you want. You still need to, and I would argue, even if you were in a perfect situation where you were living like you were, you know, ten thousand years ago, we wouldn't need to do as much mobility work. But I would argue that now that we know all of all these good techniques from different disciplines all over the place, we can actually be better than that. Right? Yeah. So I agree. I think people are like, hey, if we live there, we wouldn't need to do it. But if you did do that on top of that, you'd be even better. So you can. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, don't discount the fact that like now we know what we can do to make our joints feel better and we can maintain our joint health over time better than we did um, because this all is just starting to come to the surface. And, so, and the beauty is like all this correct stuff, like getting your hip joints moving again is not just to re- avoid and protect yourself against back pain. It also makes you a better runner. It makes you a better jumper. It lets you do more sports or more movements or more activities without the fear of force being shot up to your spine like this helps your entire life and and you know these long-term studies where you take someone that is 20 and you see how they end up when they're 90 they're obviously very expensive studies a lot of stuff is involved but i will be very very curious to see how someone with um you know the knowledge that we have about movement and maintaining mobility being able to squat your entire life you know, being able to do deadlifts regularly, being having a body that is functional and knowing the basics of how to do that independently without having to search for a medical system. I wonder how we're going to move when we're 90 because it is not going to be, it is going to be shocking. I I really think it will be shocking compared to the status quo right now of even good movers when they're 90, which you see them in the clinic. Sometimes they're outliers. It's like the the 86 year old that stand up paddle boards every day, does a squat is super vibrant. Yeah. Um, they're, they're rare, but how are we going to end up? It's the downstream consequences be crazy. that people have a tough time thinking long-term like that. Perfect example, I was watching Wim Hof on a recent podcast, and he's a great example because he has an identical twin. So the things he, he can... Yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't know so that. So that's his perfect control. And he's like, my brother... He, he's like, my brother's complete body is completely different. He can do nothing compared to what I can do. Um, and he's gone down a completely different path. Wow. And then like Wim Hof, because everyone discounted them. They're like, he's just a freak of nature um, and all of this kind of stuff. 
So he's actually gotten control of his whole autonomic nervous system. An identical twin, and he has an identical twin. Wow! So he's like, no, I'm How not, because I, I have the same genetics over here, and they're completely different. <laughs> cool. So what you do with your body over time, and and if that, like, it'll be interesting to see whether it's two, and maybe his brother is still kind of down that path more than the average yeah. person. But but you see these twin studies, and it shows you that what you choose to do with your body over time matters a lot. Matters way more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Genetics do play a part, but like how the genetics are expressed is completely determined by your environment, and mm-hmm. it's like. Yeah, people like I. Th- I think saying genetics is uh, oh, it's because of the genes I have, or I was born this way, or my structure. It's a bit of a cop out because yes, it's not false to say that, but it is. It, you're playing a, a weird game saying that that is the chief component when really you have. It's people not willing to admit that they have control over over that stuff. I think. Yeah. So that's protect. Correct. Protect is have more movement, spend less time sitting in static positions, especially in chairs. Correct is correct the movement, um, correct the hardware limitations, especially at the hips. And I would argue the ankles too. Those are the two big ones that we always kind of talk about. And then for develop, the easy low hanging fruit for the average person, I think is going for a walk every day and even starting to go. Once you can go for a walk and it's comfortable, go for a walk with a small load. Like mm-hmm. we talk about going, taking your kettlebell for a walk. That is so powerful, I think, to just, it's like higher level problem solving. You're forcing your body to adapt to problem solve at a higher level because now you have a load that you have to uh, navigate, that you have to problem solve with, right? Take yeah. a kettlebell and hold it on one side. When that side gets tired, you put it on the other side, do these suitcase carries. You're just building a more robust and resilient uh, body so that when if it ever does encounter these loads in your day-to-day life it's already been exposed to them it knows how to navigate them it knows that it's safe to walk around with a load and i think walking with a load is super underrated when it comes to the spine or orienting and organizing your hips and your feet and all that kind of stuff i don't know what you think yeah and just loading Very in general powerful. so like walking with a load introducing more loads uh figuring out how to organize your spine control your spine on the ground lift uh yeah so some baseline and we're not saying everyone has to become like an insane strength athlete but it's just a baseline level of strength goes a long way and it can can really keep you healthy longer if you have a baseline level of muscle mass baseline level of strength so that would be just developing this resilience and turning your spine into some the robust object that it is um and just proving to yourself that you are robust by by training it and and basically stress testing it comes down to that throw some stress at it see how it withstands it and then build that tolerance back up through adaptation and then basically repeat that cycle um and and build a sense of anti-fragility you're not fragile you know if you you know, it's like, okay, if you're scared to go down on the floor, if you're older, but you, and then you decide to go up and down off the floor 30 times a day, you are no longer scared of the floor. It's almost like mm-hmm. a fun challenge, right? So like build anti-fragility in your body by exposing it to loads. And maybe sometimes you overshoot. Okay. But if you're doing it gradually and responsibly, your overshoot is going to be, Ooh, I'm a bit sore there. Or I feel this area a bit more than normal. It's not going to be, Oh, my spine snapped in half. I can't move for two weeks now. Mm-hmm. So just Make your goal. You have a body. You are stuck with that body for the rest of your life. The state of your body will determine how you age and how independent you can be. And I would argue your mental function because if you stop moving, your brain stops working like to a large degree. I think we're going to see some research coming Actually, out to there show was that just, a lot. My brother showed me a study that temporal lobe, again, this is not if you're wrong, the, the temporal lobe from those who sit a lot um, uh, starts shrinking. 
Um, <laughs> so, so it's, it's like when you see that, you can't ignore the study. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay, that's yeah. interesting. Exactly. I'm just just that's I'm just noting that. Um, but again, I feel like it's telling you something we already know. But it, it is cool to see. It's, oh, it's, it's cool. And they hook up fMRI and they're like, it. whoa, wait a minute. There's less blood flow, and these parts of the brain start shrinking when wow. we're not moving. So so it's just the science is cool because it it just it shines a light on the underlying mechanisms of some of these things that we already kind of know yeah. but it's like oh shit that's what's actually happening that's very interesting uh and it's like wait a minute if i do this this and this i start to light up my brain more and, and this happens so i find that i kind of like to nerd out on that because yeah. i like i do like the underlying mechanisms behind things if yeah. when science is, no, is only going to show you these isolated mechanisms it's up to you to kind of paint the whole picture and bring them all together and make it make sense to to you or make it make sense um, make, make sense of all because no one study is going to be yeah. as we've talked about and the body is this never-ending black hole of if you're curious as to how the body works and how all these different areas play together and and have an interplay and, and work together like that that black hole has no has no bottom you know mm-hmm. like you can learn whatever details you want and there's so many interesting nuances i think the biggest thing you learn is that we know so little about the body especially the brain it's like yeah in and of itself we know like a tiny tiny little bit we we think we know a lot right we think we're really smart as humans but even just understanding the basic mechanisms of of depression and anxiety and and we don't know very much about the brain Mm -hmm. we're still discovering we're still figuring stuff out and the curiosity to always want to learn more and about different parts of the body i think is is part of what is required to be a good health professional. You have to always want to learn more and better ways of doing things and the newest stuff coming out. And exactly. it's important. That drive is important. So, so one final note I, I want to make is that through all of this, I think a big thing with back pain or with any any type of um, physical pain is that it's important to develop that sense of control. We've, we've kind of hit that point a bunch of times. But yeah. doing these things is all going to bring you towards developing the sense of control because what you choose to do will again prove to you that you do have more control over it so once you establish that it comes down to that mindset of like oh i i have the i have the ability to change my current situation and i'm not going to be like this forever and i can change it and if i do this that's going to lead me towards that desire change yeah so that's the the thing that will drive the whole process of getting yourself out of these issues back pain um will be doing these things and taking small baby steps to changing your situation so that you can really see the benefits of this change. And I saw a quote somewhere. It said the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And to some people they're like, Oh my God, my body's so messed up. Where do I start? Well, just start. Who cares where you start? Start by wearing shoes less at home. Start by rolling at your feet, whatever, just start. And by starting and getting the feedback, get an hour much, more sleep, get an hour more sleep. Yeah, maybe that's the easiest one, you know, but just starting and feeling that personal feedback of, oh, I did this and I feel this now. I feel better. Maybe it's something small, but, I, you know, whatever it is, I got a little bit more energy during the day. My feet don't hurt as much, whatever. Just start. And then that basically feeds into this big snowball of you wanting to do more and more, feeling the positive the positive feedback of what you're doing through less pain, more ability to have movement, freedom, whatever it is. And then no one needs to tell you to do this stuff. You just want to do it. Using the positive and the negative. Because yeah. once you see the positive feedback, you're like, oh, if I do this, this, and this, I feel this way. And then you're like, okay, I, I did. I kind of like fucked off for a week. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's the negative feedback. Or I went on a flight or I wore crappy yeah. shoes. And that's like, oh, now, now I I'm see feeling it. that way. Yeah. So, oh, I feel this way with this. I feel that way with that. Okay, cool. Let's try to figure out how we can do our best here. Anyway, hopefully that gave you guys some benefit of just demystifying back pain. Like I said, when I'm 
Uh, I'll post something next week to say when this goes live. And uh, we'll kind of take some feedback. If people listen to it and want to comment on that post, we might do a part two and maybe cover some holes of things that we didn't cover or just clarify some things that we said. So we'll see. We might have to do a part two on this and we'll definitely do one on back pain in, in six months from now and see how, if in any way, our perspective has changed or there's more important things to talk about. But hopefully you benefited from that and we'll catch you next week.